Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. I'm joined by Greg Barnes and Jason Staples. It is Thanksgiving. You're looking at this on Thanksgiving Day, Carolina and Notre Dame on a Friday, so we've bumped up the schedule. It is the Game Plan Podcast. Full disclosure, we're recording this on Tuesday night, (laughs) hence the refreshments. And given how 2020 has been successful thus far for college football, anything we do or say in this podcast could change by the time you hear it, by the time these teams kick off. One thing that won't change is Greg Barnes, Inside Carolina's best beat writer. And Greg, we were talking off air. I'll start the show with it. Mac Brown, first time he's coached against Notre Dame. Mac Brown, first time he's coached against Brian Kelly. And those guys are basically the godfathers of college football these days. That those two things are just hard to believe to me. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they've they've coached 755 games between the two of them. And never against one another, which is just kind of a, a crazy, uh, a, a crazy stat for sure. Uh, you know, it is what it is. It's kind of an odd thing. You would, you'd assume, I mean, you, you kind of get it with North Carolina and Notre Dame that Mac Brown didn't coach there, but uh, you would have assumed in his lengthy time at Texas with Texas and Notre Dame, both being powerhouse uh, programs that there had at least been a little bit of overlap there at the end, but um so it goes, but it just goes to say, you know, uh, Notre Dame is is an elite program. Um, it's an established program. Uh, do they get a little bit of extra hype because of the name and because of the history? Yeah, for sure. But Brian Kelly has done a really good job building this program up from when he took over, uh, I guess, what, 10 or 11 years ago. Um, and Mac is, is trying to do the exact same thing in North Carolina once again. I don't think anybody has any doubt that Matt can do that. So it wouldn't surprise me in the next couple of years these these teams meet again in a in a big game that actually matters. Uh, the fact that Notre Dame does have a tie-in to the Orange Bowl, uh, there is a likelihood of an ACC program playing Notre Dame in that postseason game at some point, uh, and that would be a very a very fun event uh, in the years to come if these two guys meet once again. Jason, talking about Brian Kelly and Notre Dame, once upon a time in his tenure there, um, it wasn't going so great. And he kind of turned it around. You know, I was watching the 2008 Carolina-Notre Dame game, and I know that was Charlie Weiss, but my son was looking at that and said that Notre Dame wasn't ranked. And it seems like they always are. And to Greg's point, yeah, they get a certain bump. But this year, this year, I think they're legit, Jason. What sayeth you? Are you convinced? And I get to say, I think it. if You're they muted. if they were a uh, if they were any other team, I don't think we'd be asking that question because I mean they beat they beat Clemson, and yes, a, a, a Clemson without the help from the elf, you know that was an elfless Clemson, but that's still a really good Clemson team. And if, if you're going to beat that team, you have to be a quality football team. And they, they've, they've won comfortably pretty much across the rest of the season. Been challenged a little bit here and there. I mean, Louisville gave him more of a game than I think. I, I think that was the one, one, maybe the most surprising game of the year in terms of how 
they uh, they gave up some plays to Louisville. But beyond that, or actually, it was a really low scoring game, and weather was a factor in that one. But uh, they weren't able to make plays on their own and gave up some plays. To me, this is a this is a legitimate top five to ten. I would say top five Notre Dame team. Top, I'd say top top five. Yeah, five, top five to ten. I don't think they're a top three team in the country. I don't think that's. I mean, I know that's where they're ranked right now. What number two? And in terms of their body of work, that's probably where they ought to be. But I think they're I think they are legitimately one of the top, you know, five, six, seven teams in the country. And they, uh, they I think the biggest reason for that is that they are really, really good up front on both sides of the ball. That's the part that they, they have probably the best offensive line in the country. They've got a quality defensive line with players both on the inside and on the outside. And they are sound across the board on both lines of scrimmage. And then they've got good to very good quarterback play where Ian Book does not make a ton of mistakes generally. So you combine being really good on the line of scrimmage with good quarterback play. And I mean, this is, that's my mantra. If you want to be a, if you want to be a contender, <laughs> what, what have I been saying for, since I've been on this podcast, since, since I've been around, what have I been saying you've got to have to be a, a legitimate contender? You've got to be really good on the line of scrimmage, particularly on the defensive line, and you've got to have quality quarterback play. And they've got them both. So that's a legit team. Yeah, that's funny. People, uh, you know, I think people discount Ian Book, Greg, and 28 and 3 as a starter. And if my memory serves, and I know we talked about it, and I have to be honest, I haven't looked it up. I think that game in 2017 in Chapel Hill was his first start as Notre Dame's quarterback. But 28-3, and three, I mean, it's like one of two FBS quarterbacks to ever have a 900 winning percentage with over 20 wins. I mean, people can say what they want about the kid. The kid is good, and he's going to present many challenges on Friday. Well, to Jason's point, um, you know, Trevor Lawrence may not have played in that game where Notre Dame upset the Tigers. And I know Clemson may – they had a couple linebackers out. But um, that was still a Brent Venable defense. And, um, I mean, that, that's an elite squad. And so for him to kind of handle the pressure of that game the way that he did uh, spoke volumes to me. I mean, it was a very impressive performance by that young man, scrambling, making plays. And I think one thing that you've seen him do uh, in, in North Carolina has, has – fortunately been able to avoid this on the defensive side is he understands where blitzes are coming from because he's played so many games and he's played against good defenses. He knows where blitzes are coming from. He knows what disguises look like. Um, he knows how to tell whether a, a defense is in man or zone. Uh, he can pick all those things up. And when things are breaking down, he's got the athleticism to make plays. And, uh, I mean, when you're talking about a veteran guy who's played against good teams and played well, uh, you don't have that kind of record. You know, Mac Brown, we talk about Sam Howell all the time. Mac Brown always says, you know, when it came to Vince Young, the only stat that mattered was the win-loss column. You have to find ways to win. And Ian Book has done that. And so um, is, is he an elite NFL guy? No. Is he an elite college guy? I think so, and I, I think that's, that's a big difference when we start talking about guys like Trevor Lawrence, how him and Ian Book are different. Uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence is a special kid, and he's going to be a great pro, uh, but Ian Book, you got to give him credit for what he's done throughout his career, but especially what he's done this year. 
Jason Book also 195 straight passes without an interception. Sam Hartman was in that same category last time Carolina was out there, and they dropped a couple. Uh, what's more important for Notre Dame, Sam Hartman or, excuse me, Ian Book's ability to be efficient throwing the ball or those feet? I think the, I think the answer to that one's an easy one, but I'll let you explain what could cause Carolina trouble um, from Book. Well, I think it's his ability to give them some balance with his arm. I, I don't think it's his feet, really. I mean, I, his feet offer – he gets out of – he's one of those guys that he uses his feet really well to get out of trouble and not make stupid plays. So he, he understands and, – and, again, this is why he's gone so many throws without an interception. He understands when not to try to press and make the play – and he'll recognize like, oh, nothing there, and then scramble forward, and sometimes he'll actually get a, 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 good, a good gain. He's about as good a runner as, as Sam Howell, basically. I mean, I think he and Howell are actually pretty comparable players. Howell's a more dynamic thrower down the field. But in terms of, of style, in terms of their ability to run and move around and make some plays that way, there's some similarities there. But what really matters, because Notre Dame is so good running the football, is his ability to keep you honest throwing down the field a little bit. And that's, that's really the most important part. And I think this also gets back to what Greg was talking about. What matters for, for a quarterback first and foremost is wins and losses. When, when you have a record like, like book does where, what was it? You said 29 and two. 28 and three, I think. 28 and three. There you go. Yeah. So when, when you're 28 and three as a quarterback, as a starter, first of all, it means you've got a really good football team. <laughs> you're playing on a good team, right? Because quarterbacks, if you put Ian Book at Wake Forest or at, uh, you know, Boston College, he's not going to have that record. But what that does tell you, so quarterback wins don't tell you everything about a quarterback in terms of evaluation. But what it does tell you is that that's not a guy who loses games for his team. He doesn't lose games. And quarterbacks will lose games as often as they win them. The main thing, and this is the first, and you talk to Mac Brown about this, and he'll tell you this, the first thing that a college quarterback has to learn, and it's often something that high school guys just don't get because they're so talented relative to their competition in high school. The first thing you have to learn as a college quarterback is how not to lose the game for your team. You have to learn that priority number one is do no harm. Absolutely. And book is really good at that. And this is where you, you hear the, the, the label game manager thrown out there about quarterbacks as though it's an insult, but it's not what that means. If you're a game manager, if you're a really good game manager as a quarterback, it means you don't hurt your team. And it means you're going to be a successful quarterback. It means you, you know, normally that's, that's a way of saying that a guy's not really dynamic. I mean, very few people are going to call Trevor Lawrence a game manager, but the thing is, Lawrence is a game manager plus, right? Ian Book is a, is a really good – he manages the game really well with the decisions that he makes, with his ability to, to take what the defense gives him, with his ability to stretch the field some and, and use – they've got some big wide receivers that he'll use uh, down the field. And then to use his legs to make sure that he can make a, you know, a handful of plays a game that the defense has you bottled up and all of a sudden the quarterback just – makes the defensive coordinator uh, use a bunch of words that normally aren't, aren't, aren't permitted around Thanksgiving time. So I'll just go ahead and, and <laughs> elusively reference them. Right. So this is, this is what he brings to the table. And, and I think that's something that 
Sam Howell has generally brought to the table at North Carolina, and it's and it's a feather in, in Book's cap of of how well he's done that. And it and you got to think about it as good as uh, Djokovic is or uh, Djokovic at uh, at um, at Boston College. The reason he's at Boston College is he couldn't beat out Book at Notre Dame. So yep. and North Carolina knows how good Djokovic is because he, he you know they they escaped. In, in Boston College against against a guy who had a pretty good day against him. Greg, I mean, book it, book's got it, and I agree. Um, I think that's a pretty that's an interesting comparison, Howell and Book. Um, but like Howell has, Book also has um, some fantastic running backs. I think they Carolina and Notre Dame run for about the same a game, and then you throw in those grad transfer or those grad. Receivers number eleven. Uh, I, I'm not even going to try to announce that name. I'll pronounce that name. I'll let you do it. And then, uh, but Kyron Williams, 23 and 25, Tyree in the running back position. Notre Dame's got that balance, um, and then can stretch the field a little bit. Jay Bateman's going to have his hands full, Greg. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, there, there's no doubt about that. And North Carolina catches you know, a little bit of a break uh, defensively. Uh, both on Notre Dame side and in their own background, right? Because UNC likely uh, will get at least one of Storm Duck and Kyler McMichael back, which is critical. You may get both of them back, Storm Duck. Our information is that he had a broken foot. And so you have to wonder, you know, how much he's he's able to actually contribute uh, trying to get get back from that. McMichael's been out several weeks now too. So if you can get them back both healthy – uh, that that's a big boost for what Jay Bateman wants to do, but then you know, the other side of the ball, Notre Dame is, is down two of their offensive linemen, um, Kramer and, and Patterson, two veteran guys who've started a lot of games. Uh, you, is it as big of a loss as it would be like for North Carolina's offensive line? No, because they've got guys that can step in who have played before, um, but it's still a, a drop off because that's a that's an elite offensive line. So so all those things kind of help what Jay Bateman wants to do, but still, what, what Notre Dame, the reason they're able to be as successful as they've been um, is because that offensive line has just been an incredibly strong. And you know, we talked about it after the Virginia game and even after the Florida State game. I, I think Virginia won the game because they controlled the line of scrimmage. Um, and that's going to be a true test because Jay Bateman's going to have to get creative. Um, you know, if he just puts his, his four against that offensive line, Time and time again, you're not going to win majority of the time in that setting. So you're going to have to do some unique things, uh, you know, whether it be sending a couple extra guys, which you don't want to have to do too often, but you're going to have to figure out a way to get them behind the chains to get the ball back to Sam Howell. And uh, that, that's going to be the test for, for Jay Bateman this week. Yeah, looking at Notre Dame, if they do blitz, you better not miss. Um, our book's got some weapons to get it to. Jason, let me ask you a question about Duck and McMichael. Um, in your opinion, these guys have been out, McMichael for, what, three games, Duck for six or so. Assuming they were 100% healthy when they're on the field Friday, assuming that, which is a big assumption, how behind are they from missing the time they've missed? How does that affect the player? Fortunately, at that position, it's, I don't think it would be – it's as big of a, of a difference. If they're fully healthy – I think conditioning ends up being a pretty big factor from being out for a while. You're not in game shape. And, and that, that's something that makes a difference. Uh, you do get a little bit of rhythm in terms of just, you know, 
being a uh, be, being able to mirror guys the way that you're asked to and and there are certain things in terms of the kinds of reads that you have to make and eye discipline and all that and just repping all that does keep you fresh on that so there's going to be a little bit of rust there no question but i don't think it's a ton i mean you think about this playing cornerback is is a lot like playing defense on in basketball <laughs> right so i mean if you get let's say let's go back a couple of years you got a defensive stopper at carolina who missed a few games really really good player and guess what when he came back nobody was asking oh you know is he going to be is he is he going to be able to play defense the way that he did before you know he's fully healthy now is he going to be out of rhythm defensively you don't ask that question because a guy a guy like Pinson is going to come in and he's going to be a, a a junkyard dog on defense no matter how healthy he is and once he's fully healthy it's not a matter of rhythm or anything like that it's it's straight up conditioning because so much of the rest of it is all of the habits that you've built in up to that point and you come back and those habits haven't completely gone away. I mean, Duck's now been in the system with Dre Bly for two years as has, uh, as has uh, 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 McMichael. So when you look at those, at those two guys, they're going to, they're going to be able to go out and execute with their, with their technique as long as they're, not gassed from the the problem of of games of game speed and that's my big concern is is the game speed piece because that's really you can't you can't simulate the intensity of game speed and you can't simulate the intensity of competition there and that's where one thing if you're just slightly out of step in, in, in at, at that speed at that position it's touchdown or if you're just a little bit out of breath at that position, you, you can get gas pretty quickly. So that's something you got to look for with them is if, if they're fully able to, you're running 60, say 50 meter sprints at all out pace, along with some, some quick foot drills at the beginning of each of them. And you got to make sure that you're in the shape to be able to do that. That's one of the reasons why you see guys early in the year cramp is cramping is, is not actually a hydration thing. It's a result of, of uh, firing the muscle at a higher intensity or at a, at a faster rate than it ordinarily is used to firing for longer than it's used to firing. And you get guys that have been practicing and they're just not playing at that speed in practice because you just the, the level of intensity when you ratchet, ratchet it up and now it's a real competition with, with something really at stake, you're playing way faster. Uh, so that's, that's, that's where I would come in. But to me, there's such an upgrade. And, and then you have Renee then as a, basically you've got them and Renee as three corners. There's such an upgrade at that point that I, I think no matter what, as much as they're, as much as they're able to play and as much as their shape allows, they need to be on the field if they're available. Yep, they'll need to be effective and available, like you said. Greg, before we get into the actual game plan portion after the break, Carolina's uh, offense against that Notre Dame defense, I, I keep reading about how Notre Dame prevents explosive plays. They can control uh, the line of scrimmage and all that. Uh, the one thing that is concerning if you're watching um, or if you're thinking about how Carolina matches up is they flat shut down Clemson's 
running game and shut down ETN. How much of that had to do with Trevor Lawrence out there? And the only reason I asked that is because I'm not sure Trevor Lawrence made that huge difference in that game. I know Jason disagrees with me because he did because uh, DJU still accounted for 500 yards. So I mean, how he also missed two or three wide open touchdowns that changed that game early on. See, I told you, Greg, he didn't agree with me. I'm, I just don't agree with you. <laughs> it makes a difference. And, and the difference is he threw for a lot of yards, but he didn't manage the game that well. And That's... Trevor, the elf manages that. He, he has all that, and he manages that game like a professional. I still think if, if Clemson has uh, Skalkus, whatever his name is in the middle, okay. because you had Venable's boy out there running around. Anyway, back to my question, Greg. How much of a concern is – is that for Carolina's running game and, and maybe how Longo approaches this one, um, especially from the outset? Well, I mean, I think the fact that Notre Dame clearly has the best defense that UNC has faced this year. I mean, I really think it comes down to, to what happens up front. Uh, we can dive more into this aspect you know, once we get into the game plan. But Brian Kelly has been, been pretty open in saying, look, you know, if this is a game that gets into the 40s, that's not what we want. We understand that North Carolina is elite offensively. They're going to get their shots in. Um, but for, North, for Notre Dame to feel comfortable defensively in this game, they want to keep it to the 20s or, or the 30s. They're okay with that because they think they have the offense that can match that. Um, but, yeah, I, mean, I think it's pretty easy. And Brian Kelly has said, look, you, we, we don't give up explosive plays, right? I mean, they're averaging allowing four plays of 20-plus yards per game, which is not many. And then the other component of it to match that is take care of the easy run plays, right? So the inside zone is what a lot of teams like to use as a bread and butter. Uh, UNC uses it quite a bit. But some of those basic staples of the run game, control those, contain those, don't let those beat you. And if you can do those two things on the front end with the run game and on the back end not allowing those explosive plays, what that means is the offense has to execute some not easy plays, maybe some, some medium difficulty plays, to be able to march down the field. And when you've got players that Notre Dame has defensively, that's a tall ask to have to do that time and time again uh, throughout the course of a game. So that's kind of how Notre Dame's approaching it. Uh, and it is, it's going to be a big test for Phil Longo. As you said, the fact that um, you know, DJ played great in the Clemson game, no, no doubt about it. Uh, but the fact that they were able to take away uh, ETN that changed the complexion. It made Clemson really one-dimensional. And you know, Virginia was able to do that against Carolina. Now, does Sam Howell still throw for a ton of yards? Yes, but Virginia made enough plays by controlling the line of scrimmage and taking away the, the run game better than we've seen all season long. Uh, and that was the formula that worked for them. And I assume Notre Dame's going to give us a, a beeped-up version of that on Friday. Let's get in it. Let's get into the game plan. First, I got to talk about Johnny T-Shirt. JohnnyT-shirt.com. It's Jason's favorite store. I mean, that, the reactions to the reads, he's got to spend several thousand dollars there a year. Uh, if you're an Inside Carolina Premium subscriber, you can spend that and then get a ton of money off with your 10% off of every order. Go see him on Franklin Street. If you're in town for the Notre Dame game, if you're lucky enough to be in town for the Notre Dame, stop by and see him in person, socially distant shopping and all that stuff. You can't beat the customer service. If you can't get to town or if you need to get something like right now as you listen to that, get online, 
go to johnnytshirt.com and order it. Great sales. They've got all the basketball stuff. They've got all the football stuff. Still got that throwback jersey. And, of course, the Ross Martin specials, they got plenty of sweatshirts. They got every color sweatshirt, every style sweatshirt you could want. And, of course, plenty of Christmas gifts. Shop at Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Support them. They support us. Um, while you're doing that, also rate us and review us on iTunes and YouTube and all that and however you get your podcast. Going to let the national guys pay the bills. I'll be right back. We're going to get into the game plan on the game plan podcast. I'm Tommy Ashley, Greg Barnes, and Jason Staples. We'll be right back. All right, boys. It's the Inside Carolina Game Plan podcast. I'm Tommy Ashley, Greg Barnes, Jason Staples. are back. Of course, Johnny T-Shirt is our sponsor. I'm going to come straight to Jason. Tell me one guy that Carolina's got to control on Notre Dame's defense, Jason. I'm put you on the spot to have success. Hmm. So who do they have to control on Notre Dame's defense? So not, not on their offense, on their defense. Yeah, Carolina's offensive approach. If I'm Phil Longo and I'm the offensive staff, what guy is it that we have to control to, to have some success? Well, Gregory I mean, Hall wrote a great article. I think the name's in there. If if you, yeah, no, I, there, there are a couple of options here. That that the, the problem is that I would default ordinarily to they've got a really good defensive tackle, uh, Kurt uh, Heinish. I think is how you pronounce his name. Uh, he he. They need to control him uh, to be able to to run between the tackles like they like they need to to be able to control this game offensively. But really, the guy that that jumps out on their defense, <laughs> and you, of course, you give me the hardest name to pronounce in all of these is uh, Owusu Koromoa, uh, uh, who is a <laughs> That's right. really That's good. That's exactly right, Jason. Very good. Who is a really really good linebacker, and, and he is active. He he can rush the passer. He is quick into the into the uh, into the backfield against the against the run. He leads them in tackles for a loss. He uh, <laughs> he gave Clemson. So I, I I've watched three or four Notre Dame games this year, and uh, two in pretty good detail with the the Florida State game and the Clemson game, and he was all over the screen in the in, in particularly against Florida State and Clemson. I mean, that guy is uh, – he, he, he gave both of those teams so much trouble. And so one of the things that Carolina's done a really good job of in the last few weeks, they didn't do quite as good a job on it last year or the first couple games of this year. But one of the things that the Carolina offensive line has really done well the last few weeks that has allowed them to have such success running the football is they've gotten to the second level really well. And this is a guy that when you get to the second level, you better get you better get your hands on him, or he's going to end plays. That this might be a thirty or forty yard run from Javante or Carter, and if you don't get if you don't get a hat on that guy, it's a three yard run, and that might end your drive. So that's the guy I think you got to control. And you know they they've got a really good defense. Like I said, you could pick a couple of the, a couple other guys in terms of their uh, of their defensive front. I mean, the uh, Dalen Hayes, their their defensive uh, defensive end, he's a problem in terms of sacks. He's a problem. I expect them to line him up on the left side and test a spot that Car- that if Carolina has had some little 
hitches and in, in their pass protection at times. It's been there where you've got your least experienced guy lined up most of the time with uh, with the seams. So, you know, I think those are those are three guys. But I think uh, I think I think you've got to focus on the backer. You've got to you've got to know where Awusu Karamoa is at all times. Yeah, and Tommy, I wanted to interject here. Um, one thing Phil Longo said earlier this week. Uh, it's something we've talked about in the past, but, but I'd like Jason to dive into this for our listeners just to kind of look out for this on, on Friday. Uh, but he made the point that Owusu Koromoa and uh, Kyle Hamilton, uh, Hamilton's the, the free safety, that, that's kind of an all-world guy too, that Notre Dame makes a point not to get those guys on the same side of the field. And the idea being that whichever way the ball goes, the defense can really funnel plays to kind of get a little bit loose to those guys, and they have full faith those guys can make the tackle. But when we talk about uh, you know, defenses funneling plays towards specific players, you know, we talked about that a lot with Kevin Reddick back when Vic Coning came in 2012 because Reddick was really the key guy for that, that defense. Um, but when you hear coaches talk about that aspect and that, that strategy, uh, can you flesh that out a little bit for us, Jason? Yeah, I mean, I think the main thing is that and we've broken this down actually a couple times this year in terms of the, the film study stuff. Uh, this is where you're, you're designating a, a specific guy. You're, you're adjusting your front, for example, to make sure that based on how they typically block things, that's most likely going to be your free guy. So for example, you've got five offensive linemen and an H back in there and the ball gets handed off to the running back. So that's six blockers and the running back. If you have, four defensive linemen and two linebackers, you've got six in the box. And then your seventh guy is going to be maybe a, maybe that safety, right? He's going to be an unblocked guy that you add to the, to the, uh, or, or a nickel maybe, or a third backer. If you're in a four, three, he's going to be an unblocked guy somewhere. And, and North Carolina generally tries to scheme it so that Ch- Chaz Surratt is that guy. They want him to be the unblocked guy. They want him to, the, the, the whole thing is set up so that, Defensive tackles are protecting him a little bit. You don't want to give them the ability to release a linebacker or to release a, a, a guard to get to that guy. And so he's able to kind of flow and go where the ball is going to be and attack. That's going to be your unblocked guy. So a lot of what Notre Dame does is they're setting things up to funnel things, like you said, and like Phil Longo said, to – those, those two are going to be the guys that are going to be unblocked in the way that they run their front most of the time. You know, you run inside zone and with where they're going to have guys lined up and all of this, they're protecting him. They're going to have maybe a, two guy, a guy two-gapping in front of him or they're going to have something there where he's going to generally be in place. The other thing, though, is by putting them on opposite sides of the field, oftentimes those two guys are the funnel, right? So... They're, uh, they end up being the unblocked player, and then they basically funnel things back to whoever is inside where you've got basically a pileup as guys are, are, are in their proper gaps otherwise. So, and, and you know, Hamilton, it, it, he is a guy that you definitely want to watch. He's a freak. I mean, he's 6'4", like 220 at safety. That is a big dude, and to be able to play safety at that size – in this era of the passing offense, you got to be a, a really, really good athlete. And he's one of those guys, you know, they'll stick him on the boundary a lot of times. And he kind of serves as, depending on what front they're, or what, what uh, personnel they're in, a third or fourth linebacker 
against the run, and he comes up really hard, but still has the range to play against the pass. Now, I think Carolina actually has, knowing how he comes up against the run a good, a good bit, I think they can double move to his side a little bit and try to get somebody behind him uh, once or twice as they play quarters or something like that. That The corner on Hamilton's side is a guy that I actually am, am going to have circled in terms of how Longo is going to think about this. You go play action and have your uh, have Deami Brown most likely or Chaffrey Brown, given his, his wheels. You have him lined up. On this, wherever you think Hamilton's side is going to be, and you run a post o- over top of where the safety is going to be there, hoping that he's stepping up in his run support responsibilities. Maybe you, you know, play action just to that side. You do something to get his attention there and try to hit behind him. And, and it'll go on the corner, but it's also part of what they do schematically to, to take advantage of him, similar to what you see against any time you play Pitt uh, because of how they use him as a safety. But yeah, it's a combination of using those guys as the unblocked player in the front and also using them as the funnel as they run the alley on the outside. And if you try to get anywhere outside, those guys, it's the first face you see because he's unblocked in the alley. And then, well, everybody else is there to clean up with that guy. For folks that are wondering, Owusu Koromora, Koromoa, number six in your program. Six and look, 14. Yeah, that's yeah look for six and 14. And, Greg, I, I slacked you on the side when Jason was talking. Looking across the two deep, really on both sides of the ball, or at least the starting – Notre Dame is loaded with grads and seniors. Mm-hmm. I mean, in this day and age, how does Brian Kelly continue to do that? I mean, it's ridiculous. You've got Clarence Lewis, the corner you're talking about, or one of the corners, Jason, is a freshman. Hamilton's a sophomore. Pretty much everybody else is a grad or a senior across the field, and you've got a sophomore running back. I mean, that's ridiculous, but let's be honest. <laughs> and when well, you watch them, their maturity really sticks out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're grown men play right. in college football. And they're physical. But look, Brian Kelly's been there a long time, and he's recruited very well. Um, and, and guys get to play. And, I mean, that, that's kind of – that's where Mac Brown wants to be. I mean, when, when you look at some of these teams, whether it be Alabama or Clemson, the freshmen that are playing are studs. You, they're not playing because they have to. They're, they're playing because they're, they're really good players. Uh, and that's, that's where you want to be. North Carolina right now is having to play some young guys really because they have to, and they need to build depth. It's not because you can't keep them off the field, um, and you're going to get to that point, and you have to build that depth. And, and you want to get to a point, and we talk about this a lot, where there's not much of a drop-off from the ones to the twos. You know, uh, talking about that offensive line, for example, uh, one of the guys they got coming in, I guess for Patterson, I may be wrong with that, maybe, maybe Kramer, but I think it's Patterson, um, is a guy that started six games last year, and he's experienced. I think he's a junior. So you're kind of like, okay. Um, North Carolina, if you have a, a significant issue, I mean, you know, when Brian Anderson didn't play, what happened? Uh, you had to go to a walk-on to play. And Kieran Johnson played a well of a game last week. Give him a ton of credit. But coaches don't want to be in that situation where uh, you, Jonathan Adorno was the only other option. He's a true freshman at center. And as you get further along into program building, you start having veteran guys who are twos and threes. And that's what you want. And that's where Brian Kelly is. That's where 
Alabama is, is where Clemson is. Ohio State's there. Uh, North Carolina is going to get there under Mac Brown, but they're not there yet. And they're, they're, that's a big key for why uh, Notre Dame is 8-0 right now and North Carolina is 6-2. Yeah, it's just fascinating to look at how he's built the program up there in South Bend to to be at that point. Um, you know, he got he got a grad come in on wide receiver that helped him out. I mean, they needed uh, number eleven to come in to give him some help. But let's talk specifics now, Jason. You mentioned about what Longo can do in the passing game. How does Carolina's offense score enough points to um, win this ball game on Friday? What what specifically do you expect to see? maybe that we haven't seen all year. Um, whatever you think is going to happen, how's Carolina score points to win this one? Well, I mean, you've got you've to run the football. And that's, that's the thing. Carolina will not – Carolina will get blown out if they don't run the ball well in this game. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, 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 is, that is just sim- – that is a simple fact. And, and Mac Brown earlier this week pointed out that, look, the two games – he said, what was it? The two games we've lost were the only two games that we didn't outrush our opponents. And if that doesn't happen Friday, there's trouble. Yeah. And Notre Dame is, go- Notre Dame is going to run the football. <laughs> I mean, they can run <laughs> the football. I mean, they, they're averaging 5.1 yards per carry, and they're doing that against everybody. They, <laughs> I mean, they averaged 8.4 yards per carry against Florida State against that that front they made them look really bad worse than they even are they uh they have they average 5.2 yards per carry against clemson so that you know they're going to run the football they're going to be physical and that's what they're going to they're going to do to attack the the north carolina defense on the flip side if you're north carolina you know that given what they're going to do and the way that they're going to try to wear jay bateman's defense which is undermanned up front they're going to try to wear those guys out. You better be able to run the football in this game. Now, Notre Dame knows that. So this, is, this gets to the, you know, the Princess Bride thing where I know that you know that I need to run the football, but I know that you know that I need to run the foot. So this is where you, know, you start doing this whole thing. So I clearly cannot run the football. Well, uh, this, is the, this is where Phil Longo's got to come into this game. And I think the best, ca- the best case scenario for me, if I'm Phil Longo, is I, I try to have, within the first three drives, I want to have two or three shot plays that I feel pretty confident about, that I'm giving my guy, and really that's going to be one of the Brown brothers. I'm giving my guy a chance to make a play downfield on a play action in a run situation where I know that Notre Dame is going to want to really stop this stop stop the run here if i can get a first down and i have the ball and say the 35 my own 35 first and 10 i'm thinking on the first drive that might be my shot i'm 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 thinking about a shot play there second and six i'm thinking about a shot play there because what i want to do is i want to to get notre dame playing a little bit on their heels against the run so that i can establish that run in quarters two and three in particular because if they can get to quarter four still in the ball game, all bets are off. But the key is going to be is going to be getting, not allowing Notre Dame to get some distance early on. And we've talked about this all year. If Jay Bateman's defense is not playing from behind, they can take some chances and try to stop the run. 
but you give Notre Dame a 10 nothing first quarter lead and you don't you don't cash in on a couple things that can that can backfire so to me it's take some shot place in particular I like the idea of of taking some shots to Hamilton's side of the field expecting him to flow downhill against some play action see if you can hit some things there use your quarterback and your and your speed at receiver to challenge them a little bit and then really quarters two through two and three, you have to, you have to be able to run the football and, you know, you look at defensively, they, they're good. They 1.03 yards per, per attempt per, per uh, rush against Clemson. Yeah. That, and that's a DTN. Now Clemson's offensive line is not as good as North Carolina's offensive line. And Howell can help by managing the football game better than Ungalale did. But that is that's that's where this game comes in. If they can run the ball more more like uh, like Louisville did, Louisville was four point one yards per carry, even though it was only ninety six yards. They averaged four yards per carry in that game. If they can do that, go over four yards a carry against this Notre Dame game or against this Notre Dame team, they're going to have a shot. So you got to find a way to make sure you're blocking them well. I like the power against them i like power read actually against them uh so that's i think if there's a game to really use sam howell as a runner it's this game and you know use him in the read game carolina's had a lot of success running power on the year use use him as a, as a read player read that backside end or in particular actually uh, florida state got him a few times with uh with travis at quarterback with the midline power read. So they didn't block the defensive tackle who then chased the, the power and the quarterback pulled it and he had a Mack truck sized hole where he could get, you know, Travis, a good runner. He's going to get you 20 or 25. Howell's going to get you at, you know, 10, 12, 15. And those are, those are plays where I think if you're going to bust out your quarterback read game, this is the game to do it. You, you save that stuff for Notre Dame I'm thinking Sam Howell might get seven or eight design carries in this game against that defense. It makes sense. Yeah. And Tommy, I'll add this. One of the, the interesting components of this is what Clark Lay has done with, with that defense in Notre Dame. They've been so successful because that defensive front has been so strong. I mean, people may look and say, well, they don't have a ton of sacks. No, they don't. And it's because they just rely on the front four. Uh, Notre Dame has, has blitzed 64 times this year. So it's about eight <laughs> times a game that they blitz. Uh, and why that's interesting is if you look at Sam Howell, and this goes for most quarterbacks, but the only way teams have had success against Sam Howell this year is putting him under pressure. Um, you know, without blitzing. Without blitzing. Um, and so when, when Sam Howell has no pressure against him, it's completing 73% of his passes. Um, it's a 79.4 adjusted completion percentage. He's picked up 90 first downs and 201 dropbacks, um, averaging 10.4 yards per attempt. That's good for a, a 92.7 offensive rating, according to Pro Football Focus. Um, so if, if North Carolina, we've seen them you know, on some of these shot plays, some of these deep throws, they've, they've kept the tight end and the running back home to max protect, to buy him an extra second or two to allow those plays to set up. 
uh, it's a lot easier to do that against four guys than it is against you know five or six. And so how Notre Dame handles that and how Phil Longo is able to take advantage of that uh, is going to be something interesting to watch. Because, again, Jason's exactly right. I do think with Notre Dame being so good, kind of uh, taking away some of those explosive plays, I mean, Wake Forest, they scheme the same way, right? I mean, Wake Forest had not allowed a pass play of over 50 yards all season long, and Sam Howell hit on two of them in the first quarter. Um, so if you're able to steal points, with a, a sp- splash play here or there, that is critically important in this type of game, and that loosens things up just enough to allow you to have success running the ball. So there's a lot of different little uh, chess matches going on here to see you know, which unit's more effective and, and which coordinator schemes better. Let's flip the ball, and Greg, I'll start with you on this side. What's Jay Bateman got to do to keep this game within reach, like Jason says, to the third and fourth quarter to give Sam Howell a chance to do Sam Howell things? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's going to be tough. I, I really they better think... tackle well. I, I think that is huge. We talked about Chess Red. If they don't tackle well, they got no shot. Yeah, and you, you hate to say that the, the team has to be perfect. Um, I think that's, that's a little rough, and that's, that's a little tough to have to ask somebody to be like that. Uh, but when North Carolina's played its best defensively, um, it's when they've understood exactly what their role is uh, and they've been able to maintain gap integrity, and that includes not being blown off the ball. When they do all those things right, they can have success, and they're not a bad defense. Uh, but if they get blown off the line and uh, they, they lose their sight a little bit, their eyes kind of get, get lost, that's when they have a, a lot of these issues. And so they've got, to, they've got to execute flawlessly, which I think is a big part of it. Um, but just the fact that the Notre Dame, when you've got a guy like Ian Book, um, who's just so talented, um, you know, when, when plays break down, he can make a lot happen. So North Carolina has to figure out a way to be able to get some pressure on him without losing contain so that he doesn't run all over them. They've also got to figure out how to stop the run effectively without committing too many people to the box because that opens things up down the field. Um, so there's, there's just a lot of challenges here for what Jay Bateman is going to have to do schematically. It does help having those defensive backs potentially back. And that gives him a little bit more creativity. He'd probably feel more comfortable leaving them on an island, uh, putting them in man coverage so he can get creative and sending some blitzes. But again, you talked earlier, Book is an experienced quarterback. Uh, Jay Bateman likes those corner blitzes. Book's going to be aware of those. He's going to know that those are coming. Um, one thing I think that that's problematic is Notre Dame uses a lot of two tight end sets. And there's a lot of times that they'll line up with two tight ends in bunch formations. And so when you're looking at this Notre Dame offense and you're saying, okay, well, they've essentially got seven offensive linemen, right? Because those tight ends are 6'4", 250. Um, and they got a really good running back and they've got a quarterback who's a dual threat. I mean, you have to be concerned about stopping the run in that position. But a lot of times, uh, you know, they'll release both of the tight ends and it'll be kind of a, a typical route concept. So um, just a lot of challenges for, for what Jay Bateman. And if he can somehow pull this off, it'll be impressive. Where North Carolina can have success is Notre Dame has really struggled uh, scoring in the red zone, right? I think the I think they're only scoring touchdowns on a little bit over 50% of those possessions. Uh, they've had, let's see, where's the stat at? I had it right here, Tommy. Uh, Notre, Dame, Notre Dame has had 40 
drives of seven plays or more that have reached the red zone. Uh, 21 of those have, have gone for touchdowns. But the fact that they're able to be such a ball control offense, they're going to move the ball, as Jason said. They're going to have success. So what you're looking for is getting them into third and long situations where you can somehow get off the field or take advantage of their lapses in the red zone to limit them to field goals instead of touchdowns. I, I think that's, that's kind of what you're hoping for at this point in time. All right, Jason. Uh... The tight end Trimble worries me um, if I'm Jay Bateman because Hunter Long went absolutely nuts for Boston College and they seem to be similar type guys. Not as, not as he doesn't use him and Book doesn't use Trimble as much as Long got used by Jerkovic. But what's Bateman do? I, I mean, I kind of think you take your chances, you try to get splash defensive plays. If you give up, 75-yard pass, it might be better than giving up a 13-yard or 13-play drive. I don't know. Your take? I tend to agree with you there. And, and, you know, Greg said almost everything that needs to be said here. I mean, if I had to design an offense that was the worst possible matchup I can think of <laughs> for North Carolina's defense in terms of personnel, in terms of what, in terms of what their weaknesses are and all of that, and, and I had to find somebody in the country that was just the worst possible matchup. Notre Dame would be on the list. They might be the list. I mean, I think you, you kind of rule out, say, Alabama, where Alabama, you know, they're, they're the worst pro possible matchup right now offensively for probably everybody. But aside from them, you look at what Notre Dame brings to the table with the ability to run the, run the football with multiple running backs, just like, just like North Carolina with a really good offensive line, even though they got a couple guys out and then Carolina has struggled with multi tight end sets all season. <laughs> they just have, they've struggled to match up against it. And, you know, there've been some issues where guys have been out of the right gap and, you know, just lining up against that. One of the things that, that, that causes problems about is Tommy, you mentioned it. It's like having seven offensive linemen up there. Well, that introduces, one, two, three more gaps, right? As soon as you have three more gaps, essentially, that are added by adding those two players, you can put those, th those, those gaps in different places, and they do get creative with that. They move those guys around. They go unbalanced. They, they go balanced. They, go all sorts of, they do all sorts of different things to cause you some trouble to just in terms of they'll, they'll – line up quickly and all of a sudden they're unbalanced and your, your guys are still sorting out where, who's got what gaps and all of a sudden they got a 35-yard run. Well, that's, I mean, that's hitting North Carolina right in its weak spot. So I think a lot of what Bateman's able to do is really contingent on how healthy those two corners are in this game. If those two guys are available and they're, able to to handle things like they like they had been early in the year then i'm honestly going one-on-one -on -one as much as possible with those two corners and i'm saying look we're going to go press man as much as possible on the outside just so that we can commit an extra player we're going to go a little bigger personnel maybe at times against that against that offense than than normal and we're going to try to do to run blitz a little bit here. We're going to use some, some, uh, some slanting and some stunts on the defensive line to try to cause some trouble. 
but the main thing is just try to get a tackle for loss here or there. And in the process, you can't give up big runs. Notre Dame's really shredded people by getting the 35 to 60 yard run. And, and that's where you've got you've to make sure that when they do get those plays, that they don't let those guys run through the secondary. You got to make the, you brought up tackling. Tackling's critical in this game because they're going to run it so many times. You're going to have to, you're going to have to get that guy on the ground every play. Uh, and the other thing is that they've had more, a lot more success running to the left side all year. And you know, that, that's still the, the healthy, the healthy tackle that's still healthy over there. So if I'm Bateman, I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I favor schematically a little bit where that, that left side is. Cause they've had probably the most success running power to that left side and when they when they get when they get power to that left side they're they're collapsing teams and you can't let that happen so depending on who you got on the field you got to be mindful of your matchups there to make sure that your that your right side of your defense against their left side of your offensive line doesn't get pounded Uh, so maybe you have an extra you know maybe maybe you call an extra safety over there depending on formation you got to know their tendencies but they've hurt people to that left side too so cover single cover a lot of quarters let those say, let those corners earn their earn their scholarship this game because everybody else you're going to have to have nine guys to the football in in the running game as much as possible and you got to be willing to give up some plays in the passing game in order to uh in order to have a shot in this one but i, I honestly i think north carolina is going to have to score 45 or, or more probably the carolina will probably have to score 50 to win this game Jason, we, we've seen Jay do a lot of different things. I mean, we saw him use the, the five-man front uh, against BC for a little bit. He's, he's done more of a traditional 3-4 look with three down defensive linemen. And he's also added a, a linebacker at the second level with a 4-3 look to try to contain the run. I think the fact he's had to do all three of those speaks to the run issues. Is, is there one, one that works better than others against what Notre Dame wants to do? Um. I don't, I don't, the problem is personnel and yeah. he's, tr- he's tried all three of them because what he's trying to do is he's trying to figure out, okay, when I've got this guy on the field at this spot, they're running, they're running straight at him. How can I try to hide this weakness here against this team? So I don't think that there's one of them that I can look at and go, yeah, we'll definitely go with the five, five defensive line, five, you know, the five man front type look and, you know, you got your best shot. I don't, I don't think it's that simple because the problem is that there are certain guys that when they're on the field, you can see offenses kind of targeting, we're going to run the ball in that guy's direction uh, because they think that they can push him around. And so what you can do to mask that, I mean, the, the, in lieu of, you know, having younger guys that are a little sturdier coming in, which you started, we started seeing the last few weeks that, five man, three man, four man, isn't really going to matter much. I, I think I wouldn't be surprised personally, if we saw more four man with Conley on the field in this game uh, as a, as a, as a, an additional sort of big safety or from the nickel position, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw more of that in this game, just to give uh, basically to try to go more eight man type fronts with that big safety kind of linebacker hybrid uh, and you can run some 
some quarters type looks out of that and, and get, get some, some interesting things there. But that means that you got to get some penetration up front. And they, this defensive line hasn't shown really the ability to do a lot of that. So you're going to have to have Murphy and some of those guys have some success actually getting some penetration to make that, to make that work. But I think you're going to see some, mix, some mixing of, of fronts and personnel in this game partly because I just don't think that Carolina has the personnel to be very successful. So odds are Bateman's going to be reaching to try to find something that's going to work here. It's interesting. This is not Buck Sanders uh, reverse mojo column that he wrote this week. This is a game plan podcast. So with that said, Greg, let's, let's get to the picking. Um, you know, before we started doing this podcast, I thought maybe this would be one of those weird games where everybody's expecting a shootout and it's not. Greg, what do you think happens? Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of the idea that whoever wins the, the trenches more times than not is going to win the game, everything else being somewhat equal. And I think that holds true here. I think Jason made a good point. You know, if you can get to the fourth quarter, we're not used to talking about North Carolina in that regard. But if you can get to the fourth quarter, all bets are off. And I say that because Sam Howe's played 21 games, 17 touchdowns, no interceptions in the fourth quarter. His, his ability to elevate his game when it matters is, is just impressive. Um, and I think that's why he's going to have a, a very long uh, football career. So if you, if you can get to the fourth quarter, you have a chance. Um, I just think Notre Dame is just too well-rounded. They're too good defensively, uh, so North Carolina is not going to be able to score at will the way that they have. Clearly, North Carolina is going to be able to score, but Notre Dame is going to run really a ball control offense, and I don't think UNC can stop them. So I've got Notre Dame winning this one, 41-31. Interesting. We haven't even talked about special teams, though I don't think we'll see the punters too many times <laughs> on, on Friday. Um, Jason, your thoughts? Yeah, it's actually pretty close to what I was thinking in, in terms of the scoring range. Uh, I think the fact that Notre Dame runs it so much and they're not in any hurry <laughs> offensively uh, keeps the score down a little bit in terms of it not being a, you know, a 60 to 50, 54 type, type game. But I agree. I mean, I, if, I, if I'm Jay Bateman coming into this game, I don't see a whole lot of ways that I can scheme up a lot of stops. So, you know, the way I'm thinking about it, and if I'm Matt Brown, the way I'm, I'm trying to operationalize this as, a, as the head coach is I'm, I'm going to Bateman and I'm saying, can you give me three, maybe four stops? Which That's is what the they did against Wake Forest and it worked. Right. Can you give me three or four stops? Can you, can you give me that much? And then you go to Longo and you say, and I've been on staffs, by the way, where, where the head coach and, and, the, and the offensive and defensive coordinators had these discussions, which is, you know, I've been on an offensive staff that said, where we've been told, like, look, you guys are going to have to score on all but maybe one or two possessions for us to win this game because we don't have the players. We can't stop them. And you guys know it. We, we, <laughs> you guys saw the same film we did. And then we've, we've had, I've been on offensive staffs where we've, basically told the defensive staff, look, you guys are going to have to, <laughs> to really have a good, good week this week. This is one where you go to ba you, you, if you're, if you're Mac Brown, you go to Bateman and you say, look, just give me cluster, save some calls to cluster 
three or four stops in here. And Phil, can you make sure that we, we don't, we don't get stopped more than three or four times this game. You got to, you got to make sure that we make everything count. And that's, I mean, that's the, the, the level of perfection that you kind of have to play with in this game to expect to win this game. I don't think North Carolina is likely to do that. I think it's a, they're, they're capable of winning this game, but I think the, the, again, the problem is, as Greg said, when you're, when you got a team that's that good on both sides of the, the line of scrimmage against a team that's that good again on one side of the line of scrimmage, you go with the team that's really good on both sides. And I think ultimately that's going to be the deciding factor. I'm going to go with, with uh, Notre Dame winning this one 45 to 34. Fair enough. I'll save my pick for Inside Carolina Live on Friday before the game on 97.9 The Hill and WCHL. I, I think, you know, part of me says this is going to be low scoring, similar to Clemson and Carolina last year. But I just – I agree with you, Jason. I don't know if Carolina can stop Notre Dame if Notre Dame doesn't do anything stupid. You know, if Notre Dame comes out and does something completely different, then maybe Carolina has a chance. But – grind them up type game um, we'll see I think somebody's gonna have to step up and make a play on the defense will it be Chaz will it be Trey Morrison or, or maybe Duck or McMichael guys if Carolina old. wins if Carolina wins this game uh, they're gonna have to have two or three of the young defensive linemen really introduce themselves on the national stage I'm yeah. just gonna go out on a limb and say that I agree with that they're I, gonna I think... need two or three of the young guys who really have aren't starters those guys are going to have to show out and it'll probably have to be kind of a second half thing where they've earned it a little bit. And you, you see a young, young guy or two make a play. If Carolina wins this game. I think that'll, that'll be, that's going to be necessary. Greg, if Carolina wins, who's the offensive MVP? Uh, Javante Williams. I think, I think uh, if North Carolina wins, he's going to have to play well and that probably locks in the, uh, the Duke award for him. Nice. Game Plan Podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and johnnytshirt.com. That's Greg Barnes and Jason Staples. I'm host Tommy Ashley. Happy Thanksgiving, folks. We'll see you guys soon. Be safe. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by johnnytshirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.